I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up a bit, talk about the DNC and RNC that have taken place over the last couple of weeks. Also talk a little bit about just the heaviness that a lot of people are feeling right now. I addressed it in my article this week at goodfaithmedia.org, talking about the need for some light in our life and the need to create some light and hope in our world, Um, and more specifically, our world, our individual world. So you want to check that out. So uh, stay tuned. And we are also very, very pleased to have Rabbi Jack Moline as our guest today on the pod. Jack is the president of Interfaith Alliance, and he is just full of wisdom. So stay tuned for our interview with Jack. Autumn, you're sick. What's going on with you, girl? I'm a little bit under the weather. Um, I have an ear infection, and I'm not two years old, so I don't really know how that works. So if you hear my voice sort of going in and out, um, and if you hear me say to Mitch, hey, um, it's just my ears, just ignore me. I just have to tell you that you made me a little bit sad in that introduction when you said that Rabbi Jack Moline was the president, and then you had a bit of a breath, and I was wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if he was just the president? Uh, hey, just take more of the pain meds that you've been prescribed, and he can be president. That's okay. <laughs> You know, since 2016, November 2016, I've been pretending that Jed Bartlett from the West Wing was present. Oh, hey, did you see they're they're coming together on HBO? They're doing a reunion. Yes. Uh, It's not going to be an entire show, I don't think, but I think the cast of West Wing is coming back to encourage people to vote. And uh, I think HBO is putting it together. Yes, people who like West Wing should definitely vote. Oh, my gosh. One of my best favorite shows of all time. (laughs) Loved President Bartlett. Oh. It was so fun. Yeah, we're, you know, I feel like we're, we're feeling a little bit of the gloom that you mentioned in your article mm-hmm. this week on Good Faith Media. Yeah. It's five months into this uh, pandemic situation I and just can't no, no light on the horizon. Right. And you know what's sad is that this now feels normative. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for months, it was very abnormal. For months, it felt like, okay you know, this is going to be temporary. We'll get back to everyday life. And now it's hard for me to imagine because in, in my job, I traveled a lot. It's hard for me to imagine going to the airport or, you know, going to Washington, D.C. or Atlanta or Nashville or wherever we would, you know, cover a story. And it's starting to kind of sink in that that's really sad <laughs> that this is now normal. Uh, so we've got, you know, we've got this large looming pandemic that is still pressing down upon us. Uh, thank God that cases are going down, deaths are going down, but it seems to have shift focus a little bit. And the, the shift in focus is now hotspots with school returning. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that in campuses in Alabama and North Carolina and, and in other states. So it just I'm seems, sure next week we'll be saying in Norman, Oklahoma, since all the OU students came back last week. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Autumn, I saw they, they cover their mouth when they sneeze and cough. <laughs> Not their nose. <laughs> no, they don't. They don't. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I do think it's it's going to continue. So we've got this, this large looming, you know, uh, pandemic over us uh, within this pandemic this rise, this emergence 
of a social justice cry for racial justice in this country with the death of so many uh, black individuals at the hands of police. Again, just this week, another shooting took place. Uh, Thank God he didn't die, but he's paralyzed uh, in Wisconsin, uh, shot in the back seven times. And, uh, and so, you know, we've got that going on uh, this week. We all, two protesters shot. Yeah, and two protesters shot uh, uh, exactly by a 17-year-old. I've uh, got a hurricane barreling through Louisiana and Arkansas now. Uh, yeah, the, our family in Houston had to evacuate. Thankfully, um, we have a, a family home south of Dallas, so they're they're safe um, with their little babies. But I mean, leaving your home and not knowing what you'll go home to with these storm surges. Right, I know. I mean, just 20, 20 miles inland storm surge. Just mm-hmm. they're already saying it's the strongest uh, hurricane that's hit Louisiana in a in a century. Uh, but, but doesn't it make you want to read Isaac Storm again? Yes, that's that is a fabulous and heartbreaking <laughs> book. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it Eric is. Larson's book, Isaac Storm, uh, details the huge hurricane that hit Galveston, Texas, uh, over a hundred years ago, and just a remarkable, remarkable book. I highly, highly recommend. Of course, we, you know, Autumn and I recommend everything that Eric Larson. Uh, has to say. And he's a good follow on Twitter, too. He he's is. We need to see if he'd want to be a guest on uh, Good Faith Weekly. That'd be great. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, no. I just had every hurricane season. I want to reread that book. It's right. so good. Yeah, it is very, very, very good. You know, so, so we got the hurricanes, uh, uh, you know, moving through and then, you know, two hurricanes, one last week and one this week in the DNC and RNC. Just a reminder about how politically divided. Hurricanes in their own right, really. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we've got all of this hanging over our head and then just life. And mm-hmm. it can be, it can become overwhelming. I was talking to my wife just the other day, just life. And it just is heavy. And Missy and I were talking the other day that, it's just difficult. It's just, it just feels really heavy right now and it's overwhelming and we need a little, little hope. Or some birds. Or some birds. And uh, for those of our listeners uh, that remember, my birthday was uh, a few weeks ago. I turned 50 and one of the best presents my family got me was a hummingbird feeder. And we actually started this autumn, as, as you well know, uh, early on into the pandemic, but started kind of creating a little oasis for ourselves out in our backyard just to get out of the house. And we mm-hmm. started planting some flowers and herbs uh, around our swimming pool and just kind of created this utopia for us to just go out and, and, and get lost in. And so when the family bought me a hummingbird feeder, I thought, hey, this is kind of cool. And so little hummingbirds would start to uh, arrive each morning as I'd have my coffee and answer emails on the back porch. I thought, you know, we can add to this. So I got some more bird feeders, and now I've got cardinals and blue jays and doves and uh, butterflies all coming to greet me each and every morning. And my family likes to tease me that I went from 50 to 80 in a nanosecond. (laughs) But you know, hey, I'm fine with that. I'll lean into it. I'm, I'm okay. But it's just it's just a little moment in the day that I just feel in tune with nature and those little boogers just make me smile. And we yeah. all just need to smile a little bit. Give us something mm-hmm. to smile. Everybody needs that in their life. Absolutely. You know, another 
population of folks who are really suffering right now is our pastors. Mm. Uh, and we really as congregants need to make sure that we're a bright spot for them. Yeah. You know, uh, our pastor at North Haven church, uh, where Autumn and I attend, uh, Jacob Topper wrote a wonderful article for Baptist news global, uh, last week, uh, detailing a conversation that he had with several colleagues within ministry and the heavy burden that they were carrying during this time to the point which was shocking that some of them had even contemplated taking their own lives. A lot of times I think we forget that the people who are charged with giving us hope, giving us peace and solace during this most difficult of times are often neglected when it comes to caring for them. And Mm -hmm. so all of our clergy, um, our, our Christian ministers, our Jewish rabbis, our imams, all of our, our clergy who are caring for us, let's take some time this week to care for them, whether that is a simple note of encouragement, whether that is baking them a cake or pie, or just a phone call saying, hey, just wanted you to know we love you, we love your family, and we appreciate all you do for us. It goes a long way. It really does. Yeah. Well, I I hope that uh, everybody can find a little hope and light in their life. What's bringing you some hope? I know a lot going on in your life, but what's bringing you some hope and light in this world, this dark world of ours? Well, you know, later in our interview with Rabbi Jack Moline, he'll talk about how the Jewish holiday season is approaching mm-hmm. and um, the Lockett family holiday season is approaching. So <laughs> we, we kick off our our birthdays on October 4th with my daughter's third birthday. And then basically the party doesn't stop until March. So we have birthdays, we have Thanksgiving, we have Christmas and we love to celebrate. Like we will celebrate, you know, a successful potty trip. We will, (laughs) we will celebrate just about anything. We keep champagne chilled and M&Ms ready to flow in this house. That's Mm -hmm. just how we are. And so I think, you know, your wife is kind of famous for saying like, you have to have something to look forward to and knowing that the holidays are coming and planning, you know, birthday cakes and treats and all those things is making things feel more normal to me, which is I think what we all want. Good. Well, I'm glad uh, you've got something to look forward to. You got a little hope and light at the end of the tunnel. And I just hope all of our listeners out there have something to look forward to. And if you don't, try to find something, try to create something that you can get away from all of the noise of the world, the chaos of the world, find some peace, find some solace, and find a hummingbird. Uh, They always will make you smile. Stay tuned as Am and I interview the president of Interfaith, Alliance Rabbi Jack Moline. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, we have a very special guest with us from our nation's capital, Rabbi Jack Moline. Rabbi Moline is the president of Interfaith Alliance. He has a career spanning decades serving and fighting for social justice and religious liberty uh, all over this country from Los Angeles to now Washington, D.C., He's a native of Chicago. He holds the title of Emeritus of Agudas Akim Congregation in Alexandria, Virginia, where he served there for 27 years. And we are absolutely delighted to have him on the pod today. Rabbi Moline, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thank you, Mitch. I'm very glad to be here. 
Well, for our listeners who may be unfamiliar with Interfaith Alliance, and I hope they're not because they can find out about Interfaith Alliance at interfaithalliance.org. Is that right? Correct. Excellent. Tell us a little bit about uh, Interfaith Alliance and the work you're doing. Interfaith Alliance was founded uh, a little more than 25 years ago uh, that paralleled the rise of the religious right as a political force. And uh, we really adopted the mission of protecting faith and freedom. It's our motto and our mission. Uh, And keeping an an eye on the uh, constitutional issues regarding faith and the faith issues regarding the Constitution. We are firmly in the middle of the organizations that are constitutionally oriented, trying to keep religion and government out of each other's way, and the faith-based organizations that would uh, like to see their rights to express themselves protected. So that's what we do. We're watchdogs, advocates, and uh, allies of great organizations like Good Faith Media. So what you're telling me, you just have nothing to do in this day and age, right? (laughs) You know, I I will tell you honestly, in in November 2016, just before the election, we sat around trying to figure out what we were going to do uh, when the election was over. Uh, and now I regret even asking that question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't imagine uh, the work you're, but you're doing great work. You really are. So, so what are some of the most pressing, pressing issues that, that you're dealing with right now? I would say the number one pressing issue for the faith community, Mitch, is paying attention. Mm. We are so distracted by what's going on uh, from the White House. And, and at the moment, because this is the week of the Republican convention from the Republican Party, that we're not paying attention to legislative and policy decisions that are being made, I think to the detriment of of real religious freedom. Uh, There are two uh, bills that are pending before Congress. They have support on one side of the aisle and much less support on the other side of the aisle. One is the No Ban Act that will prevent uh, our government from excluding people from coming to the country on the basis of their faith or ethnic origin. And the other is the Every Child Deserves a Family Act that will, uh, that will prevent discrimination against uh, foster and adoptive parents on the basis of their own uh, faith or orientation. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of those are incredibly important issues for the health and well-being of individuals and of our society, and they're opposed uh, ferociously by uh, some of the more right-wing groups in this country. Jack, you mentioned, obviously, those two bills are very important, and what what we're, hopefully they'll be passed and, and signed into legislation, or signed into law. Um, there does seem to have been this this press, and, and, and those of us who have been in the midst of this have seen this coming for, for years and years now, but it certainly has culminated in the last decade or so, and then expedited under this current administration. This redefining of religious liberty. Yes. Do, do you? I mean, do you see that? And can you spell that out? What's going on with religious liberty today? Absolutely, absolutely. We we have taken to using the term true religious freedom rather than religious liberty, which has indeed been co-opted by the right. This all was initiated quite a number of years ago when the Religious Freedom Restoration Act was passed by Congress uh, uh, with the support of a coalition, uh, right, left, and center of faith organizations um, that was designed to protect the rights of minority faiths to receive reasonable accommodations for their observances. 
the right of a sick man to wear a turban to work, the right of a uh, of an Orthodox Jewish man to wear a, a, a kippah yarmulke when he's serving the military, for example, the right of a Muslim woman to keep her hair covered if that is her observance. But it was co-opted by people on the right who saw an opportunity to use it to uh, enable them to discriminate with the permission of this Religious Freedom Restoration Act by claiming that their deeply held religious convictions superseded whatever the law of the land was. And um, that has been the fight ever since. That's what uh, groups like the Family Research Council and uh, Samaritan's Purse and other groups like that have taken as their mantra, that these are religious freedom issues that allow them to be exempted from uh, civil rights and civil freedoms that apply to all Americans who don't share their convictions. That may or may not be all right in their personal practice, but when they try to impose that on employees, on school boards, on, uh, on county councils, uh, then it becomes a violation, in our, in our opinion, of the Constitution, of both the uh, Establishment Clause of the Constitution and uh, the ability of, of people to access uh, legal and endorsed uh, services that are guaranteed to them by the government. So it sounds to me like what you're saying is the original, uh, or rest, what was the, the act that you Religious mentioned? Religious Freedom yeah. Restoration. Yeah, the Restoration Act was originally intended to be non-discriminatory uh, and allow people of faith to express their faith in, in public. And, 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 and Ironically, the whole effort was generated by a Native American whose use of peyote was uh, prohibited under drug laws, and he contended that it was a sacrament for him. Right. So, so the irony is that uh, that the religious right is using uh, what was an accommodation for something they would object to strongly sure. in order to guarantee uh, something that was not the intention of the original act. Right. Well, I think you're exactly right in what we're seeing across the country, and we've seen court cases settled now, uh, the Hobby Lobby case, which is uh, very frustrating right. for those of us that are living in Oklahoma and the Green family and what they've, they've brought to this country, uh, as well as uh, the Colorado Cake case, uh, the Baker case. And uh, it just seems like more and more that the religious right, especially in this country, are trying to be more authoritative or authoritarian in their practice of faith and culture. It's what? And they're being exploitive, too, mm-hmm. of these, you know, they're finding sort of an in and just exploiting that to their own benefit, to the detriment of others. So if, if I can say two things very briefly about that, the first is that I understand their concern. Uh, these are folks who have lived in, in, a, in a culture that has celebrated them as the majority and the default position for, uh, for decades, if not hundreds of years, and they see that privilege slipping away, and, and they're afraid, and they want to shore it up. I, I understand that entirely, even if I don't agree with it. Right. Anyone who's lived in a minority knows what it means to be at the mercy of the majority. Sure. And they're, they're feeling that shift. And the other thing I, I want to say about that is I and Interfaith Alliance defend their right 100% to decide that their deeply held religious convictions 
are, are going to govern their life. Mm -hmm. um, that is 100%. what the Constitution guarantees and ought to guarantee. What it doesn't guarantee is imposing those beliefs on anybody else. Right. And coming back to the original point, I think because they've been used to those points being imposed for them, mm -hmm. they are in something of a sense of panic seeing that slip away as if uh, two men getting married or two women get mar getting married somehow undermines the sanctity of a man and a woman being married in a faith tradition. Mm -hmm. Very well said. And that, that is 100% uh, accurate. And we, we really endorse everything that uh, Rabbi Milling <laughs> just said. Well done. So. Good. Good. You know, the other Once big again, issue... The place for the donation is Interfaith Alliance. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you know, uh, the other big issue that we're facing as a country is the racial justice. Uh, yeah. it, it just It's always reoccurring. It's always there. Uh, but certainly since the death of George Floyd, uh, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and, and, and the list just goes on and on. Um, what are you seeing from your perspective of people of faith, uh, a variety of faiths coming together to honestly address this particular issue? Um, well, what I say may not be too popular with some of your listeners, mm -hmm. Mitch. Okay. What I see is people of faith coming together to address the issues they've identified in other people's communities. Mm. Um, it, is, it is a difficult thing for for Jews to talk about the shortcomings in Jewish culture, Jewish society. Mm -hmm. It is a difficult thing for churches to address the segregation that is de facto, if not de jure, in, in uh, church communities across the nation. It's an extraordinarily difficult thing, I can tell you, because I've talked with them about it, for Muslims to address the racism that exists within the Muslim community it's much easier to point at a group of white supremacists or people who find themselves in positions of influence in this country who are white, male, and Christian and say, you have to change. So if there's anything that we can, that we can glean from each other, I hope it is listening carefully to the, to the uh, charges, the accusations, the observations that are being leveled against our home communities and considering them very deeply and what we need to do in order to change. Because racism in this country isn't going to be eliminated by, by legislation, and it isn't going to be eliminated by uh, investigating bad cops or, or uh, chasing down demonstrators or arresting a 17-year-old with a gun. Mm -hmm. You know, th that's not how it's going to change. It's going to change in our hearts and, and in the home communities where we have the most influence. That is a very, very interesting parallel that you just drew. I mean, you know, in the, the current circumstances that we're finding ourselves, you know, what does get lost a lot of times is uh, the continued uh, anti-Semitism that, you know, that, that has plagued this country and the world for so many times, the, you know, anti-Muslim um, uh, uh, attitudes and, um, practices that have gone on, you know, what, what as, as a Jewish man, a rabbi, what, what can we learn from the Jewish narrative to help us understand what we need to be doing as a people of faith to, to, to tackle these great evils that have exist in our world? And, 
and really, you know, tangible ways that we can come together. Uh, that's an intriguing question, Mitch. Um, I, I began saying shortly after uh, September 11th, 2001, that the contribution that Jewish life had to the current zeitgeist at the time was that we had a vocabulary of tragedy that has been developed over a thousand years, 1500 years of, of, of conflict that enables us to deal with, uh, unexpected loss. Um, I'm not sure that the fact that we have this history of being, uh, attacked and challenged gives us any special insight as to how to correct that problem for other people. Because as, uh, as the author Barry Weiss says, anti-Semitism is not a Jewish problem. It's a problem for anti-Semites. Mm. Uh, racism is not a problem for black people. It's a problem for racists. Right. And um, so if there's anything that we have to offer, and we're, we're coming up on the Jewish holiday season right now, um, I'd suggest it's actually the faith message, which is not entirely possible with a lot of public Jews. They don't like to talk about their faith. They like to talk about their their social justice uh, commitments. Mm -hmm. But at this time of the year, we're asked to do an inventory of our souls and to take a look at uh, what sins we've committed over the course of the past year to during this period leading up to the holidays, try to rectify them as best we can, especially by seeking out people who have been injured by our actions, and then to spend a very intense 10 days at the beginning of our new year, uh, resolving to do different and seeking the forgiveness of God. I, I think that's the mandate that humanity needs now, especially as they look at the, uh, at the black community in the United States for, for the United States original sin of slavery and for the aftermath of that as we've tried to, as white people, make ourselves feel better about what we haven't corrected yet. You know, I've been talking more and more to people about this issue and trying to frame it around, um, a, and I mean this in the very broadest of sense, a white supremacy problem. That, and I could even add to that, it's a white Christian uh, supremacy problem that we have faced in this country. And what I mean by that is that you know, you look at the founding of the United States and who came over here, and yes, they, they fled religious persecution, but I think it was Roger Williams who said, uh, you know, he left one shore of the persecution to land on the shores of another <laughs> persecution. Yeah. Um, and, and we see it, you know, just how the, the, the country was founded by the uh, stealing and raping of the land from indigenous people and then... Uh, the need of a, war, uh, a labor force. So obviously the, they brought slaves over, enslaved an entire race of people. Um, and it, it was all built around this, this theological and political ideology that God had somehow set them apart from everybody else. And yeah. it's really damning. And we still, I think, are facing the ramifications of that attitude even today when we talk about, you know, I love this country. I don't want to necessarily live in any other country. But when we talk about American exceptionalism, it's not, it's, it's addressed in a manner, framed in a manner that we are somehow better in the eyes of God than anybody else. We have, we have tried to deal with American exceptionalism 
um, by pretending that it doesn't have anything to do with race mm. and that it doesn't have anything to do with the shortcomings of our country. And I'm with you. I, I choose to live in the United States. Uh, there are other places I could go, including a place where I'm constantly invited uh, to be a part of a, of a Jewish political society. But mm -hmm. I choose to live here because for whatever shortcomings there have been in the history of the United States, this still is a beacon of light and hope to our citizens and to people around the world as well. Mm -hmm. And so what we have to be very careful of is not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Um, the American dream that we promote may not be as available to everybody as it should be, but that doesn't mean we should uh, we should suggest that it's a, a, a zero-sum game, that we, we can't bring everybody into that dream, and therefore we have to take it away from everybody else. There's a process here, and it requires a reckoning for people who have uh, taken advantage too much and uh, some sort of recompense for those who have been denied those opportunities. Well said. Well, each and every week, uh, Rabbi, we've uh, got one final question that we uh, pose to our guest, and Autumn always gets to the privilege of asking that question. So, Autumn, take it away. Absolutely. So, our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So, in light of everything we've talked about today, what is your more to tell? It's, it's a great question. Um, so I'll, I'll choose to take this uh, in a personal sense rather than an organizational sense and say the more to tell is that I am astounded, having just turned 68 years old, at how much more I have to learn and how much more I hope to grow. And uh, opportunities to work with groups like Good Faith Media uh, make it possible for me to begin to realize that. I love that. I mean, so often, I mean, I'm just the, I was telling somebody the other day, Rabbi, that the older I get, the more questions I have <laughs> that uh, yeah. I, just, I just, I'm just, I'm, I always love to learn and, and to discover new things and, and discover you know, new things about new people in my life. So uh, that was very well said. Thank you for sharing that. My, my lifelong, as, uh, my lifelong aspiration was to see the Cubs in the World Series. And now that that has finally been accomplished, I can focus on other less important things in the world. Oh, wow. That was a big. There's a lot of people, uh, a lot of people waiting for that to happen. So, uh, well, good. Well, again, uh, thank you, Rabbi Jack Moline from Interfaith Alliance for being our guest at Good Faith Weekly on the podcast. Uh, want to know more about Interfaith Alliance, uh, go to interfaithalliance.org and, uh, you know, get, make a donation, uh, get involved in their work because it is a great, great organization. And what I failed to say at the beginning of this, uh, Rabbi Moline is also part of our board at Good Faith Media, and we appreciate his involvement each and every and time. probably so. Well, <laughs> thank you. Well, thank, thank you. you so, yeah, thank you so much. And as always, uh, we want to thank our listeners for tuning in this week, and we wish you good faith. Mm -hmm.